0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 26 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP8. This week on TWiP, a special roundtable discussion with Mirrorless Mavericks, Gordon Lang of CameraLabs.com, Trey Radcliffe of StuckInCustoms.com, Julio Sciorio of SmallCameraBigPicture.com, and Doug K. of DougK.com. It's Wednesday, August 7th, 2013, and this is TWiP. Welcome back to another episode of TWiP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. This week, we've pulled together a... I want to call it the super friends of mirrorless. We've got a bunch of guys here <laughs> that know way more about this stuff and have way more experience than I have and probably will have on the topic uh, in my life. So, But through the magic of the internet and through the graces of Google, I'm able to pull them all together in one place for about an hour or so and... Get to the bottom of this whole mirrorless. You know, I don't even want to say it's a debate, but you know, for some people, it's it's a decision at least. So I want to talk about that. First off, we've got Mr. Trey Radcliffe joining us uh, all the way from New Zealand. Hey, Trey, what's, what's going on out there?
1: Hello, how are you? I'm I'm here in uh, Queenstown, actually in Town. And if you look behind me, if I move, you'll see the camera adjust the light. So back there, those are the uh, those are the remarkable mountains right back there. And that's in fact where uh, one of my other best friends of the world uh, Gordon Lang used to live right in front of the remarkables but now hes having a rough life in the south of France
0: <laughs> drinking well recovering from drinking wine so <laughs> so Gordon Gordon Lang welcome uh, you are you are from Cameralabs.com fame and you've been playing and using mirrorless professionally and and personally for several years now, even before it became Vogue, right?
2: Yeah, uh, my job's to test and review digital cameras. I put those reviews on cameraobs.com. So I've, I've been using mirrorless cameras since they first came out and I, I really, really like them. So when I decided to pack up my house a year and a half ago and go travelling with my family, which I'm still doing, we're actually been homeless for a year and a half, I decided to take a mirrorless system with me, and I've been shooting exclusively my own photos with Micro Four Thirds for the past year and a half, so I've uh, been fully immersed in the mirrorless world.
0: Wow, that's amazing, so got a ton of, obviously a ton of questions for you, and thank you for being so gracious to answer my questions before, you know, that as I just randomly email you and you re- email me back great responses, so thanks for being my personal tech support. You're <laughs> so, very welcome as I make the move to mirrorless. So and then also working down the road there is Mr. Julio Sciorio, the guy from Small Camera Big Picture. Hey Julio, what's going on? How's it going, man? It's going great. So right. tell for the folks that are that are watching slash listening to this, tell us what just in you know briefly, what was the spark behind your transition to fully micro four thirds?
3: Um, I, I started shooting with one and, and uh, experimenting, and at one point I couldn't really tell the difference between the small camera and the big DSLR, and then I was like, all right, you know, I kind of held on to my DSLR a little longer, then finally I let it go. I, I dove into the abyss, and it was, it's been awesome. Did you let it go, let it go, or is it? are you
0: like me and it's on a shelf behind you back here no, just in case? I, I,
3: I sold it a couple of years ago. You sold it. Oh, so you jumped both feet in there? Yeah, I was like, man, I'm either gonna succeed or fail. One of two things. (laughs) Wow, and it looks like you're succeeding. Look at that. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun.
0: Welcome, welcome to the show. Last but not least, over there is Mr. Doug Kay, the frequenter on Twip. Hey, Doug, what's going on? How you doing, Frederick? I'm doing well. So, so why are you on this panel, Doug? How do, how do you rate to be on the show? With I mean, I know I'm not worthy, but how are you worthy to be on?
2: <laughs>
4: well, uh, here's an example of, of the reason why. This is my uh, this is my one of my big Nikon's, a D600, and this is my Sony NEX6. And I started with mirrorless about a year and a half ago. I'd say January 2012. Uh, when I started doing reviews of some of these smaller cameras like the OMD and the NEX-7 and uh, uh, I just got back from three weeks in Turkey where I took only the NEX-6 and uh, it worked out great and it's rare that I pick up the D600 or the D3S these days and I'm also uh, prepping for a new show with you where we're going to be talking about even more of this a show called About the Gear which is going to premiere in a couple of weeks
0: Love it. Love it. Well welcome. Thanks for thanks for taking the time to come on. I want to kick this discussion off just setting the stage for all this stuff. And that is obviously we're talking about mirrorless, but for folks, I wanna take it from the standpoint of of someone that keeps hearing all these buzzwords thrown around and you know, mirrorless and APSC and full frame and all that. Gordon, I'm gonna throw it to you first. What is mirrorless? What does it mean and why should I care?
2: Well I'm going to hijack uh, Trey's discussion about this. I think he really nailed it. Uh, probably about a year ago right Trey when you were saying why are we calling it mirrorless mm-hmm. when in fact we should be calling DSLRs cameras with mirrors and we should be calling mirrorless cameras just cameras because th- where, it, where it kind of all started was there were two types of cameras there were point and shoot cameras with tiny little sensors And there were DSLRs with great big sensors and interchangeable lenses. And the idea was that if you were into your photography, you wanted better quality, you wanted the flexibility of different lenses, you would go for a DSLR. But unfortunately, they were big and heavy. And they were also quite old fashioned, because they were based pretty much on old analog film SLR technology, where you had a mirror that would flip in the middle and an optical viewfinder. So some guys thought, what would happen if we actually got rid of this mirror and designed a bunch of lenses that could actually focus closer to the sensor? You could get rid of this whole bit in the middle of the camera, making them much, much smaller, more portable. And that's really where mirrorless was born. it's it's a really unfortunate name because it makes it sound like they're they're missing something, they're lacking something, they are, they're lacking the mirror but that's not necessarily a bad thing, you can get the sensors the same size as DSLRs so you can match the quality, you can get a whole wealth of different lenses and different effects so I think think they've got off to a bad start simply because of the the naming terminology so it's really gratifying to see so many people actually switching to them and realising that They're allowing them to to go to places and take a bunch of lenses that they they wouldn't necessarily be able to. I mean for me the journey was uh, uh, a few years ago I took a full frame Canon DSLR and two lenses in one part of my backpack. And using the same backpack a year and a half ago, that backpack is disintegrated so I can't show you it anymore. But I could fit in a mirrorless camera with about five lenses I got here. This is a, an f-stop ICU, which will be familiar to, to many people who use their wonderful bags. Yeah. This would normally only get two or three lenses if they were full-frame ones, but I've got in here an Olympus OMD em E-M5, so I've got one body and six lenses, two portable hard disks, an external digital-to-analog converter, a pair of earphones, a spare mobile phone, and, and an external microphone which I'm using on this Hangout now, and this is just in one of these small ICUs that fits inside one of their backpacks, so you know, the, the degree of portability is just fantastic with these things, but there's no compromise in image quality, at least from my viewpoint.
0: Yeah, and that, that's, that's one of the questions. You know, with, with that kit that you held up, and for the folks that are listening uh, on the audio podcast, Gordon was holding up a medium-sized sort of backpack that, was, that had all that stuff that he just mentioned in there. Gordon, if, you were, if you're looking at that kit and rewinding back to your, your DSLR days, would that, would that have been the equivalent of, say, a Pelican case full of gear? <laughs> or yeah. I, yeah,
2: yeah, and I just simply wouldn't have been as mobile. I wouldn't have been able to do the kind of trip that I'm doing now where literally at certain points in this trip all I've got is a backpack and nothing else. I'm traveling with my family, each one of us has got a bag. And I, I, I couldn't have accommodated that amount of camera gear if I was shooting with a DSLR, especially with a full-frame DSLR. So this has allowed me to take a bunch of really, really nice lenses away with me that cover a massive range of focal lengths and to, to get all the effects that I want. And what's been really revealing to me is that I think in the past year and a half my photography has improved, my personal photography, and I'm taking pictures that I'm really, really pleased with and I'm really enjoying photography again rather than it being a burden. You know that point, I think it happens to all of us, where you, it's a beautiful day or there's an opportunity, like there's an event going on and you're going to be going along and seeing it in person and you think shall I take my camera or not? If you ever have that thought, you've got the wrong camera. Yeah, That's, that's the way I feel
0: about if it. If it becomes a burden. Yeah. yeah. So, so Trey, going back to what Gordon was saying about you, you sort of cracked the nut on this whole nomenclature thing and you also mentioned that the math was bad when you're talking about micro four-thirds, like what is micro four-thirds and what exactly does that mean? Have you been able to figure that out yet? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, I I do. I feel like it's actually off-putting to a lot of people that are interested in this technology because they may not be able to really understand or grok what these words are about. Like this whole idea of mirrorless. Remember in the olden days they used to call cars uh, horseless buggies? You know, you don't define something by what it's not. So I hope this matures and we start calling it something else. The same thing with micro four-thirds. In fact, people ask me why I chose Sony NEX over micro four-thirds. And my reason is actually incredibly embarrassing now that I look back on it. Uh, But it Uh is because when people were talking about micro four-thirds, I just literally did not know what it meant. It's such a weird word. The the whole fraction of four-thirds is strange. why, Why is the numerator so much bigger than the denominator? Why is uh, the word micro in front of it you know it's completely indecipherable to the average person Although you know you can you know I know Gordon uses micro four thirds and Julio and so many people they love the system it has a ton of lenses it's a, it's a great situation. Uh, I mean I'm not unhappy with my choice down the Sony NEX line I think that there are really comparable systems. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's uh, – the naming system is a big turnoff to a lot of people that want I'm, to get into I'm this hearing,
0: Trey, I'm hearing – Trey, I'm hearing a little uh, – I'm hearing, like, you might be moving to Micro Four Thirds soon. Is <laughs> no. that what I'm hearing? I'm, he- I'm no, not look, hearing so much Sony thing. love there. What, what's going no, on? No,
1: here's the thing. Uh, you, you Micro Four Thirds people, you hear what you want to hear. I know how it works. <laughs> you, know, you guys – you guys, you like uh, you know recent co- recent converts to a religion where you're just quoting from a certain passage all the time, but no, it's all right. I'm, I'm okay with you guys.
2: <laughs> We're not hey, getting I'm, up I, on you, Trey. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to know why it's called microfoils? Yes, please, please tell us. It's it's a horribly technical explanation, I'm afraid. So I'll keep it short.
1: Here we go. Okay, I'm going to have a drink.
2: Here we go. <laughs> yeah, you will need a drink. Uh, In the good olden days, um, there weren't digital sensors. There were were various analog capture technologies and um, vacuum tubes. Vacuum tubes were different diameters, depending on the the kind of captured device that was housed within. And 4 thirds refers to the diameter of a vacuum tube many decades ago that would have been required to house the sensor that we find in today's 4 thirds cameras. It's a, it's a horrible explanation, but it's exactly the same explanation that explains um, the size of the sensors in point-and-tube cameras. So when you read the specs of a point-and-tube camera and it says it's a 1 over 2.5 inch sensor or 1 over 1.7 inch sensor, it's again referring to this imaginary glass, excuse me, glass tube that would go around it 50 years ago if it were a, a vacuum tube camera. Uh, and for some reason Olympus and the guys who came up with 4 thirds thought that this sounded great so when they, when they did the mirrorless <laughs> version, they thought, let's just keep the name, Four Thirds, and just put Micro in front of it, and that's, that's where the name comes from. So it, Gordon, it, Gordon, I thought it
4: was four thirds of an inch diagonal. I thought that's No, it, it is four thirds of an inch
2: diameter of the imaginary tube okay. that would go I around it. I it was the diagonal the, dimension of the sensor. Yeah, the actual sensor itself, I mean, four thirds of an inch, an inch and a third, that's actually quite big. Uh, the Micro Four Thirds sensor is only uh, 17 by 13 millimeters, approximately. So that, that, you know, you're talking about a tube that's much bigger than that going around it.
1: Did you say vacuum tube? <laughs> I was <laughs>
2: going to say, you lost me at tube.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that settles it. I'm, I'm same with the Sony. I'm not going to that Micro Four <laughs> Thirds garbage. You had me at vacuum.
0: Yeah, that that's crazy. Julio, so you're listening to all this technical stuff behind this and you when you and when you were out in California, you and I had a chance to talk and has chicken wings and you were saying that you were relatively well, you know, relatively speaking in this grand scheme of people that have been shooting for twenty or thirty years, you're relatively new to the art, um, but you've taken off like a skyrocket and like you were saying in the beginning, choice to jump into this this mirrorless micro four thirds format. So just take us into that a little bit cuz when you like when I look at it from the standpoint of somebody that's been marinating in these mirrorless camera or mirrored cameras all these years and then making the decision to move to one of these it's it's a it's a different proposition than if you're jumping in relatively new and 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 getting into mirrorless. So take me through what your mindset was when you made the made the
3: switch. Well I I was just like in um I was like in this weird transition I just came out of a really uh, like a slump in my business. The economy was down I had really not a whole lot going on. So I was really just thinking about new ways to, to be creative and I, I kind of just, I, I guess I just got bored carrying a ton of gear, yeah. you know? And, and I just didn't, it's like, I always had my eye on like the GH2, but I, I never saw one in person I was like, Oh, it sounds really cool. It does still in motion. It combines them together. You know, and I was doing that with my 5D Mark II, but it was never, I don't know, I just got bored with the DSLRs. I hate to say it, I just wanted more fun in, in photography, and I figured, you know, I have a business. I'm not like um, doing open heart surgery, I'm just I'm making photos. I want it to be fun again. So when I uh, got my first uh, mirrorless camera, which was a Pen Mini, I started exploring with it. And I said, oh, this is really cool. And then I kind of worked my way into the OMD and then into the um, the G5. And then the G H three back there. And then I started playing with this guy, which is pretty dope GX seven.
0: Oh and, no. How that how did you get your hands on it? Didn't it just come out this week? No, Gord, no, no, did no, you no, post no. on that? Did Gordon did you send that to Julio? No 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 no. no, no. <laughs> he
3: has his secret sources. <laughs> you guys, man. <laughs> um I just I, I just really wanted to have fun again with my and rethink how as, as a commercial photographer I shoot you know because the, the gear is good enough and it's been good enough for a while and the cameras do the heavy lifting so if the cameras are doing the heavy lifting what, what remains as, as a creative professional it's my creativity and, and my personality as opposed to um, you know like okay so in the 80s even in the 70s if you had a view camera and you were good at shooting a view with a view camera you, you're going to be, you could be a generalist and you're going to get a ton of work no matter what, you know, and, and, and as time went on, you, you, you know, you needed to specialize and things changed. And, and now, um, the technical entry point for professional photography is, is, is five, $600 camera. Right. So how am I going to differentiate myself as I wanted to be more creative and I wanted to say, okay, well, can I take my still images and do something different with them? Can I make them move? And I could with the 5D Mark II, but I found it to be very challenging. No autofocus. You not Your your stills and your motion did not look the same. And then when I started using Olympus, I said it's a little closer, but the motion, the the video files were not that good. Then when I got the uh, the Lumix camera, I said, Ah, okay, now now I could actually make something more than just a still photograph, but still do it from the perspective of a still photographer, basically not having to rethink how I operate going from one button to the next. And it's just been it's just been a ton of fun.
0: Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that, that you and I I mean, we've talked about this before in interviews. You're you're that you're like the the personification of that multimediographer that I talk about a lot on the show. That's the guy that's capturing many medias and synthesizing them together and then delivering something to the client that's not just a photo or video or something. So that's amazing. Doug Doug K, so you're you just got back from a trip abroad where you, much like Trey Radcliffe, you decided that you were going mirrorless and you were gonna only going to take Sony with you. How did that go? And did you hit any points when you were out there where you just said, you know what, man, I really wish I had my DSLR with me?
4: Uh, in answer to the last question, no. There was no time when I wished I had the large camera. Um, and, you know, it was a very tough decision. It used to be that when I had my Sony cameras and I'd go out for a shoot, um, I'd you know i'd say oh god can i stand not to take one of the big nikons and more often than not because i was desperate i'd bring it in the car just in case but for turkey i said no i want a small bag uh, similar to what uh, gordon showed i have an actually even smaller bag and um, and so i said I- i'm going to do this i'm going to go to turkey in a bag with the uh, not in a bag, with the bag small camera four lenses laptop ipad headphones all in one bag small small bag it was my small airport airplane carry-on, and there were really only two situations where I thought I might need the bigger cameras. Uh, one was for high ISO, mm. and the other was for sports action. Well, mm. I didn't see a lot of action, so that really wasn't an issue. And what I've solved with the high ISO needs really <laughs> is just going with a lot of fast glass. You know, I've got 1.8 lenses, and um, Uh, And and so forth, and you know they do pretty well. So I I ended up with, you know, 4,200 images. I'm just about to publish a book that has 78 out of those 4,200 images in it, and I'm happy with every one of them. That's Um, they're really really, nice. The ones you've been
2: posting look really nice.
4: Oh, thank you, Gordon. And I want to. Oh, while I'm here, I want to thank Gordon tremendous amount for helping me through this whole process because. Uh, he really has been my guru of small cameras for this.
0: Gordon, you were, you were becoming like the midwife <laughs> for people moving from DSLRs to mirrorless.
2: <laughs> I aid you in your difficult transition. <laughs> but that's what he I did. You know, yeah, Frederick, he Frederick, helped Frederick. me. Uh,
1: I made the transition while I was in the bathtub. Actually, he helped me through the whole thing.
2: <laughs> I remember <laughs> it very fondly, especially how the water goes around the other way around in New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> is that true? Is that true or is there a myth? It's
0: true. No, it's true. And the moon's upside down. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> all right, so yeah. Trey, I, since you're you're you're, uh, I thought you were gone because I only see your thumbnail on this side, but I think you're you're your, yeah, your bandwidth. Oh no. Uh, but anyway, um, I wanted to ask you a question. So, and I want to I want to present this to the entire group. So all you guys feel free to chime in on this. So the the part of the discussion that I've been hearing from a lot of photographers is the. the the whole idea that these smaller cameras, mirrorless cameras, APS-C size, whatever cameras, um, will never, ever be able to compete with a DSLR in terms of, like Doug brought up, sports, for example, high ISO uh, or low-light performance. Um, And then there's also, which is a completely different question, just the perception of you showing up at a job where they're paying you, you know four or five six figures whatever you're getting paid and you show up with a camera that they could have purchased from the corner store so Trey let's start with you first what what do you say to that perception that it's you and I know you know I'm, I'm loading I'm, I'm baiting the witness here because I know your work is amazing and what you've done with your Sony so I know it's not true but how do you how do people that are watching and listening to this combat the whole idea that you need a larger, heavy piece of machinery in order to create Trey Radcliffe-style imagery.
1: Well, I may want to create my kind of imagery because it's very controversial not everybody likes it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, the photography world has no shortage of close-minded people, which is unfortunate because I think that the especially the artistic side, um, they tend to be a little bit more open-minded. And I think if presented with better evidence, with superior evidence, that even close-minded people can change their mind. So that's why I went through this extensive process of comparing the Nikon system to the Sony system, because I was a hardcore Nikon guy, right? I had everything from a D2X to a D3X to a D800, and I figure as long as I'm going to be in these places, I might only be there one time to be honest. So I want to get the best images and come away with the best possible images. Yeah. You know. So why would anybody who you know wants the best images Uh, quote, downgrade, end quote, their camera to a mirrorless camera. Well, the truth of it is is that the camera is increasingly irrelevant in the equation of making a good photo. Um, It's all in the uh, the technology, it's in the software, it's in the raw file, it's in the post-processing, it's in Lightroom, it's other tools you might use. So the idea that you can't get an equal quality image straight out of the camera to a DSLR is, first of all, a, a ridiculous notion. Uh, secondly, you could do so much more with a mirrorless system than you can a DSLR system. Once you go totally pure digital, and you're no longer reflecting uh, an image back through a prism, you have an enormous scope of things you could do with these cameras that you can't do with DSLRs. I find that my photos, for example, now are much sharper than they ever have been. Because it's just so easy for me to zoom in and see exactly what it looks like on the sensor. Um, I could do things with focus peaking that I never could do before. That optical viewfinder—it gives me this overlay. Remember that first scene in *The Empire Strikes Back* when Luke Skywalker is looking out across Hoth, and he has those awesome binoculars with all those gizmos flipping up on it? That's—that's that's what we all have now with these. I was thinking cameras.
0: more Terminator, you know, but yeah, I understand. Well, what you're
1: saying. <laughs> But yeah, I think that uh, you can do anything with these cameras that you can do with DSLRs. There's maybe a few outlier examples. Like one would be, like, let's say you're into photog- uh, taking photos of sports, and there's someone running at you, and the focus is always changing. Mm-hmm. I think like, like a Nikon D4 is better. Or if you're like into really hardcore bird photography or like wildlife photography, maybe some of those are better for DSLR but let's say you're doing sports. Let's go back to the sports example, and the focus is not changing that much. Well, or any kind of action. Well, you know, the Sony NEX7 gets uh, 10 frames per second. And I think that with high action photography, this is actually what you want, is a ton of photos per second, so you have more to choose from in post.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think we may have, Trey, you may have cut out a little bit. Gordon, well, we're getting Trey back there. Gordon, mm. when you when you listen to what Trey was saying, one of the things that, that popped in my head I was going to pose there was we've got cameras like the D800 out there from Nikon, you know, Nikon, um, depending on how you pronounce it. But
2: these, and as a side note, isn't it wonderful to hear Trey say Nikon?
0: It is. He never said that before. Now he's saying oh, I it. I don't know what's going on with him. <laughs> it's because he moved. Yeah, yeah exactly it's,
1: right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, so when you look at the D800, for example, versus your OMD and the the bucket load of pixels you get out of that D800 versus, you know, a smaller bucket of pixels that you get out of the, the OMD, what are we giving up? So if, in other words, if a photographer is sitting on the fence or like, you know, I'm hearing all this chatter about these... These smaller cameras, but then there's that luscious D800 there. I got to have it because I want to do some gigapixel
2: type imagery. What would you What would you advise them to do? Well, the first thing I'd say is because my job is to test these things and I've I've compared them all extensively. I would say the D800 still delivers absolutely incredible images. That sensor is the closest thing you're going to get to medium format in a in a in a smaller body, in a DSLR form factor. But the image quality is only only one half of It's to do with the body. The other half is to do with the lenses. Now, a D eight hundred is only going to deliver a fantastic result if it's got a fantastic lens, and that's going to be a great, big, heavy, and very expensive lens. Now, people are so obsessed and focused by focused on the the sensor size. They're all going. Oh, I'm not going to go to mirrorless until there's a full frame option. Which, by the way, I think Sony is rumored to be doing in about a month or two anyway. But um, I think full frame is a bit of a red herring because what the four thirds bunch did before they became micro four thirds was they designed this system with with the requirements of digital from the start and they they had a good chance to think about this and a lot of people criticize micro four thirds and four thirds for having this smaller sensor but the reason they went for that is so that the lenses could be really optimized for this system if you've got a great big sensor and a lens that's very close to it, if you're doing wide angle photography those light rays have to bend out at a really, really sharp angle here towards the edge of the frame and that's often why you get darkening in the corners because the thing you've got to remember about a sensor is that each of those pixels is like a little bucket and that bucket is being filled with light and that's great when the light is coming straight down but when that light is coming down at an angle it's just not getting in there very well. Mm -hmm. So systems like Micro Four Thirds were designed so that the lenses, because you'll notice it's actually got quite a large uh, lens mount on it compared to the sensor size, and that means the rear element on the lens can be bigger than in 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 another system, allowing the the light to actually strike the sensor at a much friendlier angle. And when I look at my pictures from Micro Four Thirds, it's very common for me to get a, a shot that's completely sharp right up to the corners, all across the entire frame. And it's those kind of optical results I just wasn't getting with larger formats, especially with full-frame. It's very hard to find full-frame lenses that are pin sharp right into the corners. So people go, oh, I like that, the high ISO performance of full-frame. But I would say to them, yeah, but, you know, what do you want from your pictures? Mm -hmm. If ultimately what you want is a ton of detail across the frame, which is personally what I'm after because I do landscape and architectural photography, so I want the detail to be sharp across the whole frame then I'm getting better results with Micro Four Thirds than I ever got with full frame. Sure I'm sacrificing maybe you know a stop or two of higher ISO performance at 1600 ISO, but I never really shoot at those settings, so for me the optical quality is actually superior and that's because it's got a smaller sensor, so the smaller sensor to me is an advantage.
0: Wow. See that is the first time I've heard that. Now, Doug, I, w- I want to have you sort of piggyback on that. So Gordon Gordon just threw the gauntlet down and he said the optical quality or the, the quality of the imagery that he gets out of his smaller sensor camera is better or superior than what he would get out of a larger censored camera. Now you've shot both, you've played with both, you're going
4: to be testing both. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, Gordon's right, as usual. Uh, <laughs> but let me, let me add a couple of things to that. First of all, if you think of what some of the sharpest cameras out there that we see are, they are some of the professional video cameras, like you'd see in television networks. Those have very small sensors. And that continues the thread that Gordon is beginning here, which is that once you get smaller sensors, you don't have to worry about the light from the lens spreading out. Uh, you actually can develop a sharper image. That's part of that. Couple of things I want to add, though, to this. And now that Trey's had to leave us, unfortunately, due to his yeah. Bad by the way, before bandwidth. you continue,
0: Doug, just so Trey, Trey sent me a message in the chat saying that he's in the hills of, of uh, you know, Middle Earth over there, and the bandwidth is bad, or he didn't pay his bill, or something. But he had to drop, <laughs> he had to drop off. So apologetically, uh
4: Trey's no longer on this hangout. But continue, Doug. Okay, so. I have to I have to take this Sony bandwagon here, I'm the only Sony owner left here, but uh, a couple of things about it. First of all, remember that a Sony NEX camera has an APS-C size sensor. Mm-hmm. So, let's not think that mirrorless necessarily means small sensor, because as Gordon said, we're expecting a Sony full-frame in the next couple of months. The APS-C sensor in the Sony NEX is the same as a D7000 or a Canon 7D, so it's not a sensor size issue. Mirrorless does not necessarily mean small sensor. You have separate decisions here. Um, the question that Trey raised though, about autofocus, he was talking about the Sony's for example doing 10 frames a second, that's true but you know what it can't autofocus in between those 10 frames a second whereas a Nikon or even a Nikon D4 or D3S actually autofocuses in between every one of those 10 frames per second that it shoots. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or nine in the case of that. So that's a That's another difference. The other which difference, makes it
0: superior for sports,
4: right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I shot bicycle races at nine frames a second a week ago, and the bicycle's coming straight at me, and this thing focuses in between every exposure at nine frames a second. And you mm-hmm. can't do that today. Today with a mirrorless camera, but this is temporary. For example, the Sony NEX six. The reason I switched to the six is it has better autofocus than the 7. It has what's called phase detection autofocus. This is a temporary issue. We're gonna see mirrorless cameras capable of doing everything that a mirror a mirror based camera can do today. And finally, um, uh, yeah, that's it. So autofocus is the one thing I really did notice on this trip uh, and that is autofocus is not nearly as fast today with a mirrorless camera as it is with a mirror based DSLR and uh, Frederick,
2: we, we, we have oh, sorry 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 go, no, go for it go no. for it and um, we, we had Frederick and I had this conversation about autofocus because I was taking pictures at the Tour de France a couple of weeks ago and I had the same situation Doug was describing which a cyclist coming at you at ridiculous speeds and that is the big downfall of the mirrorless cameras at the moment as he says now they're single autofocus acquisition if you're just taking a picture of a, a landscape or building your friend or something <clears throat> They're extremely fast, really, really fast at a single AF. You half press the button, you get the double beep almost instantly. Continuous autofocus tracking they have real difficulty with at the moment. As Doug says, better integration of phase detect autofocus systems is really improving that. And ironically, Canon actually has the answer with its dual pixel CMOS uh, sensor, which ironically is in the 70D, a DSLR, uh, because they've managed to create this sensor where every single pixel although they actually only use 80% of them, but every single pixel potentially can be an AF point. Hmm. And you think, well, how do they do that? Because if if it's an AF point, that means it's not capturing light. It can't make a picture with it. And that's why you only see maybe 30 phase detect AF points on, on these hybrid systems. What Sony does, which seems obvious, is they're all AF points until you take the picture. And then they all suddenly change. They flick a switch. And they all suddenly become imaging pixels. So they've created this sensor which which they're going to put in the DSLR. It's like, oh no! Don't put it in the DSLR. Put it in the Canon EOS M, and suddenly you'd have this the most awesome mirrorless camera of all. Yeah. Which hopefully they'll do, and hopefully everyone will copy them, and then this this problem will go away. As Doug says, it is a temporary problem. But right now, if you're shooting sports, I I would I would get a DSLR.
0: Well, that's, that's the question. And I'm glad you said that because that was going to be my next question to, to either one of you guys was, you know, if if you are a sports shooter and you're hearing all this chatter about these, these new cameras or these different cameras, it, are they an option for you? And it sounds like, yeah, if sports are your bag or shooting action or motion where you need to track subjects, you probably want to steer away from these, Right.
2: If it's moving action, as Trey said, if it's, and it's interesting he he should mention that because when I lived in New Zealand as well, there's lots of people doing kind of extreme action sports like um, snowboarding and skateboarding or mountain biking, and they generally will do a trick where they'll whiz through the air, but they'll be roughly at the same distance throughout this trick, so you can pre-focus on that spot and then just go tick, 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 and you will capture a great picture with a mirrorless camera. Where it will fall down is if the subject is coming towards you or away from you at high speed. That's the thing they can't do right now. Yeah, and every, yeah.
4: everybody moves slower in New
2: Zealand anyway, so it's not <laughs> as much of a problem. You tell that to the orcs when they're coming after you. Julio, <laughs>
0: when, you, when you, you're, you're listening to this conversation, you're shooting, so we've got a Sony shooter, uh, we've got two OMD shooters on the, on the cast here, and you are the Lone Ranger with the Panasonic right there mm-hmm. right so tell me about that camera you know you're shooting the the, the GH3 primarily right now right yes. so when you're you're what do you get from shooting that and what was your decision making process between choosing that over a Sony NEX versus a OMD versus something else
3: well it was a, for me it was a pretty easy one because i like to take my stills and motion and combine them together mm-hmm. and i like to shoot fast and i like to one thing that no one really... Cause people talk about what they, they, these cameras don't do, and we need to talk about what they do, and what they, they do so much more than a DSLR does. Um, I mean, in what way? So, that's a, okay, that's, so a, that's a blanket statement that can bring
0: pitchforks and flames to your front <laughs>
3: okay, door. Let's do it, man. Let's do it, because I've got to say, I'm, I'm so over the sensor size talk, and, and, and all that stuff, like, like, like we've been saying here on the panel, that all that's going to change. Give it a few more years, and you're going to be solid. The thing is, first of all, if you're carrying a ton of gear, you're not taking pictures. You go out on vacation where you see like these dudes with this giant tripod and a lens that that, that like it's like like a midget, like three four foot tall, and it's like they're not taking pictures. I'm out there with the GH three or any of my other cameras. I'm snapping, and I'm going from still to motion without missing a beat, without having to rethink about things. I'm just basically I'm creating. The camera is stepping out of my way when I go to shoot any kind of motion clips, the same autofocus technology that I have for my stills is now in my video files so it'll detect the faces, it moves them around and whatnot. I'm not shooting fashion action sports so the autofocus has not been a problem for me. Um, The other thing that I like to do is I'll put my, um, I got 4 series video on the GH3 called How to set up your GH3 like a boss and I got, I actually put my different settings in the camera so I may, I may just quickly go from one dial, C1, C2, C3, color black and white, to like a sepia mode, um, maybe a square format, and then I could easily share it on my, to my uh, Android phone or to my iPhone, and it's online. Yeah. So we gotta think about, we're, people aren't making huge prints anymore. I mean, they are, but not as much as they used to. It's kind of like a vinyl record. It's like they're kind of cool, but, you know, we have a bunch of records. We don't listen to them, but once in a while, we put on some Santana
0: that's you know? a good point though that's a good point that I hadn't thought about and that's the whole printing piece of this you know doug doug you I know you print from time to time no and in with your
4: smaller camera are you making any compromises oh no no re- remember I've got a, a sensor that is either 16 or 24 megapixels so I'm doing my full-size prints like I do in any other camera I mean my before this, my favorite camera had 12 megapixels, which is a mm. D3S. Yes. So I can make pictures that are plenty big, plenty sharp, no problem. Yeah. See, yeah, I'm, I'm,
2: I'm, I'm printing almost every day. The, the optics have really done it for me as well. When you blow up a picture very, very large, you really see optical deficiencies. I think before, you see lower resolution. And I think all of us would agree, or hopefully, has anybody, when they're looking at your pictures taken with your mirrorless camera, ever gone... Great picture, but you know it's just not got enough pixels in it. Yeah. No, no one has ever said that. No, of you know, course. No, no one, Other no photographers, one right? They're looking okay. at yeah. their
3: pictures on a phone. They're looking at it on Google+. I mean, how many of our mm-hmm. pictures do we make massive prints compared to how many pictures of all? am I going to put on Google+, am I going gonna to comment about far more people are going to see my work on the web than they are in, in the print? You know, the, that, issue
2: that's... Of perception, the issue of perception is an interesting one though, uh, when you are walking around with a smaller camera, it is hard not to feel slightly inadequate when you see the guys with the, and they are always guys aren't they, the guys with the bigger DSLRs and the big tripods as Julia says, but I had an interesting situation last year in Lower Antelope Canyon in uh, in Arizona, which is a, a beautiful, beautiful slot canyon, highly recommend it if you're in the area, if you're not travel to the area, it's one of those places where the light shines through into the dust and you get these beautiful coloured effects. Well, they, because so many people want to visit this place, they have to do these guided tours. And they'll only let you go by yourself if they deem you a serious photographer. Now, how do they deem you a serious photographer? I found out last year when I turned up. And the guy in the ticket booth, which was just like a little wooden shack, he said to me, so you want the photographer's pass? I said, yes, please. I came here a couple of years ago with a medium format camera. And I got it. I'd like to get it again. He goes, oh, great. What are you shooting with? And I said, oh. Um, a Panasonic GX1, which is the mirrorless camera I had with me at the time, and and the Lumix 7-14, a fantastic quality ultra-wide lens. And he went, it's a mirrorless camera, right? I said, yeah. (laughs) And he said, "Um, no, no, we we only issue the photographers, the serious photographer's pass, to people with DSLRs or uh, medium format film cameras. And I said, but, but the result I get from this is as good as the result of everything, And he goes, no. Well, he goes, well, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But uh, you can't have the you can't have the pass. And I thought this is incredible. I, I I couldn't believe it. And on the one hand, there was the frustration of the photographer who isn't getting what he wants, but the excitement of a journalist who's thinking, hey, there's a story here. But also the frustration of all the people in the queue behind me who are going, ah, oh, get on with it. Just get the ticket. Get on the tour. Yeah. And eventually the guy in the ticket booth, he goes, oh, look, just, just get a, a private tour. And he did it for me the same price as a, as a group tour. So that was fine. It all worked out. But the whole time on this tour, this guy who was showing me around, he goes, he was looking at me with such complete derision, or with the camera anyway. And he was like, what are you doing with that? You know, you call yourself a, photo- you know, I've got a Canon 5D Mark III. My friend has a Nikon D800. Those are serious cameras, my friend. And you're like, oh, not a serious
0: photographer unless, you, unless you've spent a certain amount of money on your gear, and then you're serious. Right?
2: And maybe that's the problem with mirrorless cameras. Maybe Olympus or Sony or Panasonic, somebody, somebody needs to make a more expensive camera. Someone needs to make a 3000 or a $5,000 mirrorless camera. And then some, maybe, maybe this problem will go away then.
3: This price. Well, here's, here's the thing. Okay, you hire a plumber, and they're in and they're out, and it's a rush job, and they come in maybe with a few tools, and they rock it out, and they save your house from getting flooded. You pay a premium for that, okay? If you But if we, for whatever reason, people look at photographers like, if I show up with this tiny little camera, and I shoot covers with this, and I'm in and out in 15 to 20 minutes, and I email from the camera, to my client, the images, and they love them. Why? Why shouldn't I charge a premium? Right. Right. You so know what I mean, so, so guys, put this to all, all three of you guys.
0: What's the best camera manufacturer out there today? <laughs> so oh, oh. we've got Samsung, Panasonic, Fuji, Sony, and Olympus. Out of those guys, who's the best? The, um, it's the the, the don't say the camera that you have with you. Come on, don't cop it's, out. It's the Panafu Sonopus. The Panafusonopus.
3: <laughs> it's a whole it's a whole new line. It's, it's, it's the camera I'm, Nessie I'm, shoots I'm, with. I'm right. Breaking, I'm breaking the, the news right now. The the Panafu Sonopus. It's got everything that you want in one. It's it going to cost eight hundred bucks. So pad, say Panafu again. Panafu Sonopus. That's Hannah I think I know. visited that place in Greece just the other week.
0: <laughs> I was going to tell Julia. There's, I mean, penicillin might help with that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
2: there's a cure. There's a cure. You, you <laughs> don't have to live your, with
0: it these days,
2: man. Come on. <laughs> have you noticed how we're all ignoring your question, Frederick?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. You see the, the, You see the tap dancing going on? You guys take, need, need the top hat and canes I, here. I think Go the, ahead. Best,
3: the best camera is the one that, that helps you be self-expressed and create and break new ground creatively. Okay. Um, you know, and if that's a Fisher Price camera, cool. And if that's the um, what is it, the big shot camera that you can assemble for 89 bucks and it's got a hand crank, then that's great. That's your iPhone. That's great. If it's a Lumix or Sony, Olympus, whatever. When when I'm out with other people shooting and I see them get excited then I'm excited, and it doesn't matter what they shoot. You yeah. know, the only time I really notice people's cameras is when they're like, well, does your camera do this? My camera does that? Does your camera... And then it becomes like a camera conversation. And I want ha- to talk about photography. I want to create, you know. Um, so it's really it's whatever camera helps you become self-expressed.
0: Gordon, you, you literally wrote the book on this, or the website at the very least, <laughs> on, on camera selection choices, so... We, on this particular question, what's the final word on the best mirrorless camera out there for someone to buy? What's the best one? That's And feel that free is, to say OMD if you want. You know, it's
2: like, that is an extremely, extremely difficult question to answer because it's like saying what's the best color or what's the best pizza or the best, the best car. car right? There's different, different products for different people at different times, but I do have to say, if you've got about 900 US dollars to spend, the Olympus OM-D E-M5, even though it's year old, is still a real cracking camera. When the GX7 and the EP5 were announced, you know, respectively a couple of weeks ago, I, I always do big comparisons with other products. You know, how does it compare to the one that came before it? And the really interesting thing when I was writing about the uh, the OM-D E-M5 was that. It's still really held up today. You know, when you're comparing feature sets and things, you expect that you know the new one's got a ton of stuff that the old one doesn't have. But the old yeah. one still had a lot. You know, it's missing a couple of things, like it didn't have the focus peaking, which is a little bit annoying, especially as I've got a Samyang fisheye lens now. And even though you'd think you wouldn't actually need to focus a fisheye lens, you do, mm-hmm. if the subject is very close. So there are things it's missing, but it is, it is really good. But also staying with Micro Four Thirds, the Panasonic GX1, has been steadily discounted and, discounted and discounted and discounted and discounted long before the GX7 was announced. And it's they're virtually giving them away. And this is a fantastic camera. It's a camera I traveled with for a year. It at the beginning of my trip. And that is a great entry into mirrorless if you you know if you don't want to commit too much. But the one final thing I'd say about micro micro 4 thirds that very few people ever mention is that when you're talking about which is the best manufacturer, the Beauty of Micro 4 Thirds is that There isn't just one manufacturer developing for it. You've got Panasonic and Olympus producing very different bodies, but that take the same lenses, and also producing lenses at the same time. And that's why that system managed to grow so quickly, not only because it was the first mirrorless system by a year ahead of Sony, but because there's two major companies developing for it. Only Sony makes next bodies. Only Canon makes EOS M bodies, thankfully, for now, and so on. Panasonic and Olympus are making my fourth-those bodies. So, you know, you can, and it was so nice to be able to sort of switch between them. Um, I've got a Lumix G3 as well, an old, uh, an old Panasonic body, uh, which still has some advantages. I posted a picture tonight on Google Plus of a cathedral where when the battery on my OMD ran out, I switched to my G3 and found that because it's got a completely articulated screen, I could actually build a little tripod with it, like a little triangle with the screen flipped out. And that allowed me to take a nice long exposure shot without using a tripod because there's lots of places that are a bit funny about tripod use. Yeah. So you know, there's benefits even to these older ones.
0: Now, see that what what I'm I'm noticing here is the conspicuous silence of Doug Kay, and the Sony guy. <laughs> <laughs> so the Doug, next
2: six is a fantastic camera. The next six. It is. A really
0: it is. I, you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hopefully play with one next week, but. Doug, what do you say to all this? I mean, defend yourself. Defend your choice against Panasonic. Your, defend your, your choice against the, the Olympus and the interchangeability of the two. You're on the NEX system. Why is that? Why is it? Is it just choice, like Julia was saying? You know, just grab it and go and shoot. That's the most important thing? Or were there physical, like, a, a reality behind why you decided to go with the Sony system?
4: Well, I'm I'm going to build up to the answer to that question, Frederick. Uh-oh. First first I want to show you this lens because this little Zeiss 24 F1.8 is as sharp or sharper than any of my dozen Nikon lenses. So
0: Remember we're audio podcast by the way.
4: Yeah, well, you imagine a Zeiss 24 <laughs> F1.8. It's a teeny little thing. It's a teeny little thing and it's sharp as hell. Um, so that's an important thing first of all. The 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 best camera without a question is the one that comes out right after you bought another one <laughs> right that's always the case i was not expecting that yes right? and so so they say it's the one you have with you forget it the best camera is the one that comes out right after you buy one that's always going to be the case don't worry about it the the important thing also is I w- i've been shooting for many years i went to turkey i shot 4200 images i don't think there's a single image where i can say gee it's the camera that made this image inferior. The cameras are better than I am. Uh, the cameras are not keeping me from making great pictures. Now, back to the question of which is the best. I have used an OMD. i uh, I've used uh, an older Panasonic, I've used a number of the Sony cameras. I have won competitions with all of them. I do a lot of competition locally here. Um, I, neither of these cameras have interfered with my ability to take great pictures. So the differences are small. I think there are a, there are differences in terms of the style. For example, I love my Sony camera. I absolutely hate the menu system. It's got the world's worst menu mm, system. I've heard that. I've heard. And
0: that. and
4: uh, if you're a person who needs to go into those menus, that's going to annoy you. However, it's got other advantages. So I think if you're considering one of these cameras, which I do recommend, I think that you should. Uh, borrow one. You should rent one from borrowlenses.com, for example. You should try them because you will find something that annoys you about each one of these cameras. You will find many things that you love, and the only way you're going to know is to put them in your hands and go out and shoot with them. But um, uh, I love the Sonys. I would have been just as happy with the OMD. I think the new Panasonic cameras are brilliant. Uh, by the way, on the next episode of About the Gear, we're going to be testing a camera that solves the problem of these mirrorless cameras not being expensive enough, because we're going to be doing a comparison of rangefinders. We're going to compare the new Fuji X100S, Frederick, and the camera that you didn't buy, by the way, right. and but we're going I didn't to
0: com- buy yet.
4: Yeah, right. And we're going to compare it to the um, the Leica M9, which is an $8,000 mirrorless camera
2: so, with a full-frame uh, sensor
4: with a full-frame sensor and interchangeable lenses. So uh-huh. let's let's not forget that uh, you know price is not the only issue. You can spend a lot of money today on a mirrorless camera if you really want to. And I'm curious. I've never shot with one. I've never shot with the X100S. And I'm looking uh, forward to putting them together and see how they do.
2: The, the X100S is a really nice camera, and I should just squeeze in a vote for Fujifilm there, because they've got their own mirrorless system, the X-Man, with their X-Trans sensor, which is really, really different uh, sensor architecture produces really nice images, and even though there's not many lenses available for it yet, they're all of an extremely high standard, so there's a lot of really keen, fine art photographers who really, really like the Fujifilm yeah. system.
0: Yeah. All right, so Julia, I want to throw it to you before we wrap this up, um, from from a, from the perspective of what's missing. Like, what do you, when you're on this system, when you look at your, your Panasonic and you're like, this is perfect except for it's missing this thing. What's missing? In other words, what's next for these cameras?
3: Um, I think the next big thing is going to be 4K video. I think and if you're shooting video that, that really has the same resolution as your stills, I think that's going to be pretty huge. Um, what's missing though, there's less, there's less things missing in the camera than there is in the delivery of the images. The only thing for me that was missing from my GH3 was built-in curves, kind of like the OMD. Um, I do a lot of uh, pre-processing. I build my image in the camera, and I'll shoot a a JPEG, and I'll deliver that, or I'll shoot a JPEG plus RAW. So with the uh, GX7, it has built-in curves, and you can actually store your presets, kind of like presets in Lightroom. So I will probably, until I actually hand this off to you, shoot JPEG exclusively, and put them on, on Google+, Plus and not shoot RAW.
0: See, that's a whole nother conversation that I... When it, you you cracked that out at the end of the chat on... Per- <laughs> the, JPEG, the JPEG, you know, going back to
3: JPEG, because the well, whole JPEG versus RAW discussion is exactly. I think coming JPEG,
0: back to life.
3: Yeah, but I think it's JPEG and RAW, not JPEG or RAW, because right. they're, they're two different mindsets. I mean, if you would like to do a lot of post work, um, then raw is what you need to be shooting. But if you like to do a lot of pre-processing in-camera and share it right to Google+, um, then shooting a JPEG is great. What I'll do is i if I meet somebody I've never met, I'll take a portrait of them, I'll send it to my phone, bump to share, um, and I'll email them the images right there instead of giving them a business card. And that's a great way to connect with somebody. But what's really missing is the is the delivery. So we have things like Google+ where you can see still in motion, but For like video editing, you have to be a video editor, Mm -hmm. and I want to be able to edit video right in Lightroom, like in the Develop module. And I think when people do that, then I think that when Adobe does that, I think the game will change. Again. All right, Doug,
0: Doug, I'm gonna throw it to you on that same topic. What's missing? What's missing from mirrorless today?
4: Uh, the only thing that's really missing for me is the autofocus, and it's just a matter of uh, less than a year before that's really solved. Um, uh, other than that. Uh, you know and the, and the usual things like I say, menus and things like that, but there, there's really nothing missing. They're great cameras. Uh, there's no reason not to go with only a mirrorless. Uh, unless you need, you know unless you need 36 megapixels from a D800 or you need that really fast autofocus from a D4, um, thinking Nikon in particular, then there's no reason to go mirrorless. Only you don't need the big cameras. Period. Yeah.
0: All right. All right, Gordon Lang. I'm gonna give you the the last word on this. Uh, CameraLabs.com. What uh, what's missing from today's lineup of mirrorless cameras? And I'll add a little cherry on top of that. What can I expect in the next year or so that's gonna blow my mind in the mirrorless world?
2: Well. This camera, the OM-D E-M5, is weatherproofed, like the Panasonic Lumix GH3. At the moment, they're the only two weatherproofed uh, mirrorless bodies that I know about that are officially uh, weatherproofed. But neither of them are that tough. Now, if if you have a a Canon 1D or a Nikon D4, these cameras are so tough they can be used as offensive weapons. If you're in a war zone and someone's coming towards you, you could pick this camera up and hit somebody with it and be fairly confident they're not going to get up. With this camera, that probably isn't going to happen, so I think for a lot of people, what they're waiting for is a genuinely tough mirrorless camera. Not just weatherproof, but genuinely tough, and a lot of pros are waiting for that before they switch over. For me personally, what's missing is exactly the same as Doug. I want really good continuous auto-focusing, although I have to say, I wouldn't use it that much. In the past year, I've only missed it once, and that's when I went to this bike race, and all of the times, I'm not bothered about that. In terms of what's going to blow your mind in the future, I think I think that's probably going to be it. I think that's going to be, when, when we see technology like Canon's 70D sensor put into mirrorless cameras, this continuous auto-focusing thing is hopefully going to go away. Um, there will of course be a certain degree of sexiness from people bringing out big sensors, you know, full frame mirrorless, really high resolution mirrorless, and that's going to make a lot of people very happy. It won't make me happy, I don't care about it really, I'm totally at peace now with sensor size and resolution, I get exactly the quality that I want and it's all about the lenses. For me it's all about the lenses, so um, Mm -hmm. that, that would be the two big things coming up, better continuous autofocus and inevitably bigger and high resolution sensors, but I would say unnecessarily bigger and high resolution.
0: Just to appease the uh, the complainers yeah. out there, the sensors will yeah. get bigger. Right? Yeah,
2: and Sony's got a great strategy, and if they are indeed going to announce one these, I don't have any secret information, they don't give me any. So, you know, they, they cover all bases. It's a fantastic strategy. They're going to say, oh, we'll put all our eggs in that basket. They've got their eggs in all baskets. <laughs> and if they say, if people want a full-frame mirrorless, we will give it to them. We've already got the RX1, you know, which is a full-frame compact. Why not? You know, if, if somebody wants it, we'll make it.
0: Love it. It. Doug, Doug, you, you're showing a big, giant Nikon DSLR <laughs> next to a, a a smaller NEX camera. There, what do you want to say about that?
4: Uh, well, when I went out and shot about three thousand images at a bicycle race with my D three S, I wore a wrist brace, mm-hmm. and I'm showing it compared to the Sony NEX six here. And um, they're different beasts; they're totally different animals. I wouldn't I wouldn't put them in the same ballpark, but uh, uh, yeah, if you're listening to the audio, you don't get to see it, but you've got a camera that, as Gordon says, the D3S, like the 1D, you know, you can use it as a football, uh, you can almost drop it in the water, the lenses you can hammer are hammer nails with it, right? You, well, you well, certainly can with this one. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, um, you know, you need a Sherpa. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. All right, and it's guys, not just um, about
2: the lenses. The tripod. You get a smaller camera. You get a oh, smaller tripod. Everything. Oh, everything. That is. Smaller. That is. That is a good story. You know, I went.
4: You know, when I go out with this D3S or my D800, I carry a really right stuff, massive, carbon fiber with a big ball head tripod. Okay. I mean, it's really heavy. It's got spikes on the end. It's a wild, crazy thing, right? Mm-hmm. But when I went to Turkey. I took a Gitzo Traveler Pro.
2: I've got one of those fantastic yeah. tripod.
4: Tiny little tripod and I took a $19 Manfrotto ball head. $19. You don't pan with it, you don't do that, but and you know when you tighten it it wobbles a little bit, but you know I was on the road for 3 weeks throughout Turkey and you know it's it's marvelous. It's it's absolutely uh, invigorating and and freeing for you to go out with these little cameras. So if you if you're coming from a big camera world, you will love it. You will have trouble going back. If you're coming if you're new to all this, start there. You won't regret a thing.
0: Yeah. I I totally agree. All right, before we continue with this fascinating discussion about the world of mirrorless cameras and photography and all that, I'd like to uh, thank our sponsor for this particular episode of This Week in Photo, and that's Shutterstock.com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. As Shutterstock, you'll find the perfect image or video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, a publication, an advertisement, a video, or another type of project. You can choose from over 26 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, Vectors and video clips. Plus, Shutterstock has flexible pricing. You can choose individual image packages or a monthly subscription for the best deal. I mean, you can download 25 images per day with a standard subscription. And you can download any image in any size and pay only one price. And today I found an interesting image on Shutterstock because we were doing this episode, I was thinking what image can I use to represent mirrorless? So of course I went to shutterstock.com and I did a search for mirrorless camera and I added illustration to it because I wanted something more illustrative and when you know it, I found a gang of images that I could use. I picked one and if you look in the blog post for this episode, you'll see the image that I chose. It's a very generic looking and you could say it's a mirrorless camera um but it's a mirrorless looking camera illustration. So definitely check that out. And It took me all of three minutes to find the image to represent this episode. But you can try out Shutterstock today. All you need to do is sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. You can start an account and begin using Shutterstock to help imagine and help you ideate what your next project might look like. And you can save your favorite images to a light box to view later. Then if you decide to purchase, just use the offer code TWIP8 that's number eight. And for 30% off new accounts, just use the offer code TWIP8. And we thank Shutterstock for their support. All right. Thanks again to our sponsor, Shutterstock.com. And now back to the discussion about mirrorless cameras. All right, Doug, so just, since you were talking, let's uh, let the listeners slash viewers know where they can go uh, to, to see some of the stuff that you're working on and some of those shots that you did while you were running around the globe.
4: Well, the best place is Google. Uh, that's where I post a lot of stuff. Gordon saw my stuff there. You can go to DougK.com and find my portfolio, as well as my Turkey Gallery or my blog. Is it Blogarithms.com, where I do a lot of reviews and other technical articles?
0: Excellent. All right. And
3: Julio Schiorio, small camera, big picture.com, right? Where, where else can people go to check you out? Um, you can Google my name, but um, I'm really I'm, I'm putting everything on Google. I'm actually going to archive. All my portfolio pieces on Google Plus here soon. Excellent. So I'm right. gonna have it all.
0: So Google Plus is the place to go,
3: huh? Yep, or just meet me in person. I'm actually gonna be touring around the country with the GX 7 shooting. And you're coming to camp you're coming to San Jose, right? I, I am. We're gonna hang out and um, after I get to Seattle I'm gonna send this to you and let you just have at it. And I'm so, never
0: sending it back. I'm just telling yeah, you.
3: <laughs> come hang out and ask, ask me the hard questions, put your CF card your S D card in and shoot and you know, just have fun. That's the thing is photography has got to be fun. It's not heart surgery. It's making photos.
0: Love you it. Know. See, that, that, that's, the, that's the word right there. It's not heart surgery. You're just making photos. Don't take it so seriously, right? Right. Alright, Gordon, what about you? Where would you like folks to go to keep up with your, your, your literal, like, transient world traveler, right?
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> where's your you-
0: permanent home at online?
2: Uh, if you're interested in camera reviews, lens reviews, and buyers, guides, go to Cameralabs.com. I've got a mirrorless camera buyers guide there and also some lens guides that you might find interesting. If you're interested in my personal photography, you'll see it on Google Plus and Facebook. I'm Gordon Lang on both of those. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram as Cameralabs, and I post to all of those networks because I just don't know which one's best. <laughs> <laughs> you're having trouble like making the decision.
0: I know. I just I know. don't know. Alright guys, well thank you all for coming on and even in the ether somewhere wherever Trey Radcliffe is, thank him for coming on as well. And uh, to the listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com, and uh, don't forget to join our while you're over there, join our community that's on Google+. Plus. It's growing. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com or at thisweekinphoto.com. And with that... It is time to take that lens cap off.
1: This Week in Photo is a TV production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.